It's Thursday, February 18th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. We are recovering from the pandemic, but to a different economy. According to a new report, millions of jobs that have been affected by the pandemic are unlikely to come back as increased automation takes hold, more people work from home, and business travel not expected to rebound so quickly. Heather Long, economics correspondent at The Washington Post, joins us for why we need to invest more in retraining workers. Next, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has seen his profile rise within the Republican Party. His record on vaccinations, unemployment, and pro-business attitude during the pandemic has raised chatter about a potential run in 2024. His clashes with the media have also animated conservatives. Mark Budo, national political reporter at Politico, joins us for how Ron DeSantis is becoming top tier. Finally, beware of hidden COVID surcharges. Some companies have been charging extra fees to make up for lost profits, cleaning costs, and PPE. These charges have been seen in places like dentist offices, senior living facilities, and restaurants. It's hard to tell how widespread this is, but attorneys general in some states have sent out warnings to consumers. Hannah Denham, business reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for what to watch out for. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. 20% of jobs over the coming years will continue to stay at home at least three to five days a week. Bill Gates had said it may be as high as 30%, but you get the idea. There's going to be a significant number of people who never go back to a downtown office. Joining us now is Heather Long, economics correspondent at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Heather. Hi, good to be here. We are in the process of recovering from this pandemic. And while we are recovering to a point, it could be recovering to a different type of economy. We've seen millions of jobs go away. And anytime there's this huge shifts in, in how things are operated on normally, the comeback is usually a little different. And uh, what we're seeing is a, a jobs report that says that millions of jobs probably won't come back even after the pandemic ends. And we'll probably need to reinvest in retraining for a lot of workers. People are going to have to approach things differently, maybe get some career changes going even. So Heather, what are we seeing? We're recovering, but to a very different economy. And the three biggest changes that we're seeing, and many of us know and feel these as we try to work through our daily lives, the first is there's probably going to be less business travel, fewer of these trips where you people might go and try to meet at a conference or make a sales call. Some of that stuff will continue to happen online. Bill Gates, uh, Microsoft fame, he predicts as much as 50% of business travel will never come back. Wow. A new report from McKinsey says it may not be that high, but they still think 20% won't come back. So that means you aren't going to need as many hotel valets, parking attendants, restaurants near those hotels, people who work in those hotels. The second big change that's important is where people work. And of course, many people have been able to work from home during this pandemic and encouraged to do so. And this McKinsey report estimates that 20% of jobs over the coming years will continue to stay at home at least three to five days a week. Bill Gates had said it may be as high as 30%, but you get the idea. There's going to be a significant number of people who never go back to a downtown office. And what does that mean? You just don't need as many restaurants. You don't need as many 
hair salons down there or entertainment venues in the city. Some of that may shift to the suburbs, but it's still unclear how many will come back. The last trend, which does not get enough attention, is automation. And sure, we always talk about workers being replaced by robots. There's always that potential. But what we know is it usually accelerates. There's more automation during downturns. And in particular, during this downturn, because, of course, we're trying to keep people apart from each other. So even industries like meatpacking have started to experiment more with robots on their factory floor. In your article, you mentioned a company called Chewy which is an online pet food and supply company, and they fully automated one of their fulfillment centers. You know, they obviously have people still working there, but they automated as much as they can. And that warehouse right there is more productive than any of their other warehouses. And if that's working, that's the trend that's going to stick. Somebody, a reader actually emailed me to point out, and I should have put this in the article, that the cost of capital, so the cost of buying those robots, if you're chewy and you need to buy some of this technology, is super cheap right now, just like the way when you go and get a mortgage, it's really cheap. And that is another thing that's incentivizing companies to make these investments. The cost of these robots has dropped, and at the same time, It's really cheap for these companies to buy these uh, investments. So it's all working together. All these trends are working together to say fewer of these jobs that used to be there before the pandemic are going to come back in the same way. Now, we may have other jobs that may pop up that we didn't have before. So it doesn't mean we're going to have permanently fewer jobs. But it does mean a lot of people who used to work in a city may have to work somewhere else or who used to do maybe a food service job or a pet groomer or administrative assistant, they might have to change career tracks. What do they have to say about retraining efforts? There's huge demand for retraining. Workers understand what's going on. I profiled two in in my piece, one who worked at a hotel in Miami and another who worked at Disney World in Orlando. And both of them have either been laid off or had their hours basically cut back to almost nothing. So they're not making any money. They've been looking into other careers and they, they're trying to figure out another path, but it's hard. You know, it's hard to find the money to go and take those classes. It's hard to know what programs are available. And with 20 million people right now currently on unemployment, there's a lot of people who may need retraining or help shifting. And there's only a handful of really good retraining programs are out there. And even community colleges. In the last recession, a lot of people turned to community colleges to get some different skills or try a different career. That's a great path. The problem is, at the moment, most of those classes are online. So you have to have good internet, And you have to have a good laptop and all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of these lower income workers who've lost their jobs, they do not have those resources. Heather Long, economics correspondent at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And we just want to let people know, uh, you know, if you're somebody who's working hard, uh, you know, you're a worker in one of these industries, uh, we're standing with you 100 percent. Joining us now is Mark Caputo, national political reporter at Politico based in Florida. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thanks for having me. 
every time one party loses power and uh, and the other party takes over, that next period, those four years, we're, we're kind of looking for who the next rising star will be. There's a lot of unknowns right now. We don't know if former President Trump will run again in 2024. We have some other people at the top tier, people like, uh, you know, Ted Cruz, even former Vice President Mike Pence, who could be leading the party. We don't know. There's a lot of unknowns. But right now, what we're seeing is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis kind of rising to the top. You know, his handling of the coronavirus, the way he's handled the media and all the criticism that he's gotten. A lot of people are looking to him and saying he could be doing it in 2024. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about the rise of Ron DeSantis. You know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, DeSantis sort of dragged his heels and was very slow to lock Florida down. He was very quick to open Florida back up. And critics were even faster to criticize him for not doing enough and predict really dire consequences for Florida. Since then, Florida has one of being 27th in death rate, which is firmly in the middle of the pack. And it's out of proportion, let's say, to the amount of national attention and criticism that he was receiving. Uh, you know, if you'd gone back in time and seen all those dire predictions of doom and then fast forwarded to today and said, hey, what death rate do you think Florida would have? Well, how would it rank? I doubt people would say 27th, even surprising to me. I live in Florida. So that's been kind of a major driver for him. And also, the uh, the state's unemployment rate is lower than the national average. So a lot of people are looking to him as, as being kind of uh, someone who, who's able to kind of own the libs, take on the experts in the news media, and keep the economy going and his state going. I do remember that early criticism. You know, the mask wearing was a huge issue. Everybody's saying, well, it's just going to explode. And the, and the numbers have been all over the place for Florida. You know, it's not always been so rosy right now. They're dealing with this new UK variant. I think most of the cases that have popped up in the country are in Florida. But still, as you mentioned, they've been doing all right. And you compare and contrast that with other big state governors that we're seeing. We see Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York kind of with his nursing home death count that didn't pan out over the course of the pandemic. And we're seeing this in California with Governor Gavin Newsom. He's facing a recall effort with a lot of things that were going on there. And as you mentioned, this just kind of makes Ron DeSantis more attractive. And again, more attractive to conservatives. I mean, liberals have hated him for some time and now hate him even more. That having been said, you know, it's always important for people to remember that, you know, when you and I are discussing this, we're kind of grading on a curve. We're still in a pandemic. So while Florida is third in population, 27th in death rate, there's still 30,000 dead people in the state of Florida, you know, 485,000 nationwide. So things could certainly be better. But we're talking here expectations. Expectations were set so exceedingly low, almost cartoonishly low, that it was pretty easy for DeSantis to clear that bar. Now, one of the things that critics, epidemiologists will point out is Florida's weather probably plays a big role in this, is uh, we're able to be outside a lot more in Florida, and Mm -hmm. fewer people inside means fewer people exposing each other to a virus that spreads more easily inside. So that's probably a big factor there. And then there's also personal responsibility. There are a lot of places where people just wear masks, and they haven't been told. There are places where they don't, but that's kind of an important thing to remember. In the end, it's kind of all on, on all of us, wear your mask, socially distance, wash your hands. Hopefully the vaccines will come one day and hopefully they'll work for everybody. Let's talk about a few things. So there's a few recent polls of Republicans where he was more popular than President Trump even. Uh, their state's two senators, Marco Rubio and Rick Scott. And then he's even been getting some cheers from other states. I think you detailed an instance of a rally in Houston, I think it was, and they shouted out the names of a few governors and Ron DeSantis got bigger applause than even their own governor there. I came across this story because I was, I was doing a separate story about kind of that the 
different potential candidates are going to start going down as they look at 2024, which it seems to be an attorney in the future. And whether it was Texas, California, New York, South Carolina, New Hampshire, or Iowa, Republicans kind of proactively mentioned DeSantis's name. And you're right, his name idea is pretty low, but he is very much a media creature of conservative media. And his ability to garner attention in that space shouldn't be underestimated. And, you know, name ID is also a commodity that can be purchased. Again, long time to go. Certainly not anointing him as any sort of front runner. But Ron DeSantis is definitely a Republican that a lot of grassroots Republicans and top Republicans see as a man to watch. You were able to get a few statements from Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, what does he say about all of this? Well, he says, hey, look, uh, you know, he, he, he boasts about Florida's economy. It's a relatively low death rate, or like I say, relatively low, as well as mentioning that the critics had predicted these kind of rather terrible consequences that didn't come to pass. DeSantis also was among the first governors to guarantee that kids could have in-class instruction, that is, to open schools. And he was one of the first governors to say, look, we're going to give vaccines to people who are 65 and older because that's the number one demographic where people die from the virus. Now, that's since subsequently been adopted by other governors and is some guidance from the CDC as well. So that's kind of the, his suite of talking points, and he's sticking to them. But one of the things about DeSantis is he is, while he's combative, he's also pretty wonky, so he does his homework. A lot of people don't agree with the conclusions he comes up with, but nevertheless, he does have reasoning, he does have numbers that he can back up his beliefs with. Again, not everybody accepts him, but it is what it is. Mark Caputo, national political reporter at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I've seen senior living centers up to $1,200 in retroactive services for extra food, extra cleaning. I've also seen at dentist offices um, $10, $12, $15 charges for PPE. Joining us now is Hannah Denham, business reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Hannah. Thanks so much for having me. I wanted to talk about an interesting uh, thing going on throughout the pandemic right now. We're seeing some companies that have been charging hidden COVID fees to make up for things like lost profits, increased costs for PPE, cleaning fees, things like that. It might not be the most legal thing. I know attorneys general across the country are kind of starting to get involved in all of this. So Hannah, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing. What I found is I reached out to attorneys general and financial departments in you know, all states and territories, and I found that consumers in at least 29 states have filed more than 500 complaints about these fees, these coronavirus-related surcharges, and they're being reported largely at dentist offices, senior living facilities, hair salons, and restaurants. What are these fees covering? What are they trying to charge people extra for? I found reports of hair salons, a $5 disinfection charge. I've seen senior living centers up to $1,200 in retroactive services for extra food, extra cleaning. I've also seen at dentist offices um, $10, $12, $15 charges for PPE, um, specifically masks and face shields for the staff at those dentist offices. So it's a range, and you're right, it's hard to track, especially if these fees are undisclosed up front. Let's take some of these individually, nursing homes and senior living facilities. Now, obviously, these residents are a lot more vulnerable and all that. But in Michigan, I think we saw a case where the attorney general there sent a cease and desist order 
to 11 senior living facilities that were charging $900 in supplemental fees. You mentioned one for about $1,200. I think some of these companies said that they're going to refund that money, but they're oftentimes they're not even disclosing this to the residents until after they've either been charged or said, hey, this fee is coming up now. That is the case. And in the case of the senior living facilities in Michigan, the attorney general said the problem with this, once they reached out to the companies that are in charge of these senior living facilities, the response was, well, the residents could have pushed back. They could have refused to pay. But if you don't know to push back, if you don't know what the legality is around this, and especially if you don't know you're being hit with a fee until it's already charged to your account, that puts a lot of onus on the residents to do so. And that's unfair and illegal in some cases. The restaurant industry has been hit particularly hard by the pandemic, obviously with closures, capacity limits, everything. We saw restaurants really reinvent themselves into takeout restaurants and then outdoor dining restaurants. They've had a lot of costs incurred and some of them are charging people extra. It's kind of similar to what we saw when restaurants were charging patrons extra to cover healthcare costs. So we're seeing that again in a bunch of different ways, obviously for salaries, health benefits and sanitation and all, but we're seeing surcharges there as well. What is, you spoke to people from the National Restaurant Association. What are they saying about this? So in speaking with the National Restaurant Association, you know, of course they're in favor of being upfront about fees, but they talked about sort of the reality of the situation for the restaurant industry, especially for, you know, mom and pop owned restaurants, smaller businesses. It's tough. Tipping is down. Gift card drives are not enough to sustain companies. A lot of their CARES funding, if they received any, has long expired. Um, They're seeking to sort of adapt and operate at reduced capacity still in some cases, depending on the locality in the state. So um, the reality is that restaurants are really struggling right now. And this is one way that they're seeking to cope with the losses. You did mention dentist offices is where we're seeing a lot of these reports from. And, you know, it makes sense. Obviously, they work in close quarters. I know there was an issue about aerosolizing virus particles because of things that they do at the dentist office. So PPE is very important there. But even the Dental Association, the American Dental Association, was urging their offices to say, be upfront with these costs. Just let people know so they don't get caught off guard. That is correct. Some of the consumers that I talked to who were charged with these PPE fees at their local dentist offices, their response was, you know, dentists and their staff have always worn masks and some sort of face covering. So why is there an issue now? But the American Dental Association said what they said was the cost of PPE has gone way up. And so this is how some offices are dealing with the issues there. But I think definitely the encouragement is disclose it up front and make sure that it coincides with your insurer's policies. Is there an issue of legality with these businesses charging these surcharges to people? It definitely depends on the state. Um, not all states have laws that um, protect against price gouging or even protect against um, hidden fees. And a lot of the states that do are fairly new to that. They first enacted some of these laws in March as we are seeing some issues with price gouging then. And so it is sort of a slow going of reports on this, but a handful of state officials, we've seen this in New York, Connecticut, um, Michigan, like you mentioned, they have issued guidance um, warning residents of these fees, asking residents to please report if they're being charged this. And in, in some cases, is making sure those residents get refunded retroactively. Hannah Denham, business reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at 
Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.